0: we can have all the amazing ingredients of change. You know, we can have the best diet advice in the world and the best exercise advice in the world and sleep hacks and ways to manage our stress. But if we don't know how to combine those ingredients in the recipe for life, you know, we can't really then get all of those wonderful benefits. And I always feel like behavior change psychology, it is that methodology in that recipe. You know, it's the how do you take all these incredible things and then make them work somehow in your complex life.
1: Welcome to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well with your host, Sarah-Ann Macklin. Today, we explore the power and the longevity behind sticking to habits. 40 to 50% of our daily activities is made up of habits. Scientific research has shown us that trying to rely on willpower external motivations, and white-knuckling your way out of success does not work. So the question is, what does? In this week's episode, I speak to Dr. Heather McKay. She is the UK's leading lifestyle behaviour change specialist, and she has studied health behaviour change psychology for almost 10 years. Her mission is to offer a sustainable and evidence-based alternative to an industry saturated with quick fixes and health fats. So I couldn't think of anyone more better to speak to around how we do create long-lasting, sustainable, healthy habits. I'm so excited to share with you the news that we are hosting off season finale of Live Well Be Well season six during a podcast live in-person event. We will be closing our season six finale with nutritionist and psychologist Kimberly Wilson. Kimberly is renowned for the expertise of nutritional psychiatry and mental health. She is a phenomenal expert to have close the season finale, and we are thrilled to be able to bring this to you in person. Kimberly will be on call to answer all your questions during the end of the podcast live. And as always, BeWire well Collective will be delivering some really exciting goodie bags to every single person who attends the event. To get your tickets before they sell out, please head to the They are only costing £15, and the £15 will all be donated to the mental health organization, the BeWire well Collective. Tickets are selling really fast, so please make sure you get yours now to avoid any disappointment. Matcha is my go-to morning drink, and I'm thrilled to share with you that this week's sponsor is the luxury matcha brand, Casa Cura. On the topic of healthy habits, matcha was one of my new rituals which I implemented earlier this year to swap out my go-to morning coffee. If you aren't too sure on what matcha is, let me give you a little more information on why this green tea powder is my ultimate companion. Matcha features a high concentration of lacyanine, an amino acid that helps increase our clarity and focus, whilst at the same time calming our minds. Uniquely different to other sources of caffeine, matcha allows a gentle release of energy whilst also maintaining a calm sense of mood, so we benefit without later experiencing a huge crash. In turn, matcha is kind to our sleep cycle too. Kasekura uses one of the highest grade sources of matcha and my Live well, Be well listeners can get a fantastic 15% off if you use the code Sarah15. Kasekura also creates a fantastic giveaway this week too, whereby if you follow at Cassicura Official, at Be well Collective and my Instagram at Sarah and Macklin, you can win a Casa Cura Matcha set. I will make sure to pop this discount code and the giveaway information in the show notes, but do head to our Instagram pages as well where all the information will be there. Dr. Heather, thank you so much for coming on to Live Well, Be Well today. How are you? I am wonderful,
0: Sarah. I'm just... Loving watching your background. I immediately feel like I'm in some sort of serenity palace with all of your botanicals in the background. It's wonderful.
1: For anyone who's obviously not watching it on video and listens to the podcast, yeah, I've got a little courtyard in my garden and it's quite nice. It's autumnal at the moment. It's all starting to change, the colour of the leaves. It's a good Zoom background especially for London so I'm pleased that that's bringing in some kind of calm energy into today's podcast which is always nice so Dr Heather you are renowned in kind of changing looking at behavioral change and also very much known for forming healthy habits but for anyone who doesn't know you could you please give us a bit of a brief into your background and your story
0: yeah I suppose the one thing anyone doesn't know me needs to know is I'm a massive nerd. (laughs) I'm a total geek. I spent a long time in academia, you could say. (laughs) I was a Van Wilder of the UK. They couldn't get me to leave university. But no, I was obsessed with understanding a little bit more about, you know, how do we create habits? How do we maintain behaviours? And all of my background was really in, well, how do we you know, why do so many people fail? And yet there are still some people that are able to stick to um, healthy habits long term. And can we distill those key elements that allow those people to maintain them? And and how are they different? And, you know, can we actually train other people to do that? I say I speak the language of motivation and I'm fascinated by what makes people tick day to day. And so, yeah, now I work with multiple companies kind of globally, helping them design their, their well-being programs to make them sticky and a good way. And um, I run my own bite-sized habits course as well to help people create those lasting habits.
1: Amazing. It is such a fascinating area. I think, you know, I want to come on into a minute about actually what is a habit, but when you were deciding the route that you were going to go down in psychology, what was it about habits that kind of really drew you in? What was it about behavioral change? What kind of captured you in that moment when you are studying? Because it was 10 years you studied psychology for, if that's right.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's got to be something sticky, right? Well, um, <laughs> great question, Sarah. It's such a nice motivational question. Do you know, like I was going to say I was, I've was i always been a nosy person, but I think a kinder word is curious. And um, you know, when you get any magazine and I always want to immediately flip to the back page and look at what, what's a day in that person's life? What does that look like? And how do they operate? And I think it was... When I was younger, and I was assume my primary degree, I was working in this metabolic syndrome clinic for people who had heart disease, diabetes, anything to do with their metabolism. And we had all the best trainers and we had great nutritionists that we were working with and dietitians. And yet, People couldn't really make their behavior stick, and it really bothered me. It was like, Well, how, if we have all these incredible resources, can people not make this apply to their lives? So, I ended up sitting down with every single person in that clinic. I think there were 60 of them um, and chatting, like saying, You know, what's getting in the way? What's stopping you? What's holding you back? And I think that's what got me really hooked on behaviour change, because for each person, you know, there was different barriers, there was different complexities, there was different, you know, might have been their history, it might have been something that had happened in their life, might be their relationship with themselves, with their family, multiple different reasons. And I think that made me really, really eager to understand, you know, we can have all the amazing ingredients of change, you know, we can have the best diet advice in the world and the best exercise advice in the world and sleep hacks and ways to manage our stress. But if we don't know how to combine those ingredients in the recipe for life, you know, we can't really then get all of those wonderful benefits. And I always feel like behavior change psychology, it is that methodology in that recipe. You know, it's the how do you take all these incredible things and then make them work somehow in your complex life? I think
1: That is so fascinating to hear because if you look at public health and you look at they have lots of resources out there but are they actually making the changes that they're expecting to make and sometimes we say no they're not you know the five of the five a day campaign we've got all of that information we've got all of that knowledge but only 21% of us in the UK consume five of our five a day so there is a barrier somewhere for you know nearly the 80% of people that aren't sticking to that adoption of five of the five a day and I think it's really interesting when you look deeper into what you're looking at why are people not making that change when they know that that's beneficial for their health so before we delve into that and open up kind of that can of worms what is a habit how do we define a habit
0: Oh, great question. And I love yeah that you cite that study on the five-a-day because it's so, sorry, just to circle back, but it's so interesting because it just shows that knowledge is not enough to change our behaviors and we all can know all of the things in the world, but it, those intentions don't always translate into actions. And I think that's one of the primary aims of behavior change is to, is to close that intention action gap. So habits are formed, they're non-conscious processes, so they're not thought driven. We can't think our way into them and they're formed through context dependent repetition. So what that means is do the same thing in the same circumstance enough times and it becomes a habit. So a context can be anything. It can be any cue in your your life. So it can be, you know, you go into the bathroom in the morning, you see the toothbrush, you brush your teeth or you get into the car and you put on your seatbelt. So the thing about habits is they operate through like a neurological feedback loop. So the more times you do something, the more likely it is to become a habit. And this is where habits can be really helpful. So, you know, the more you engage in a particular thing in a particular circumstance the more likely it is you know to become habits so like Sarah you mentioned you know you've just had a a recent move and and that actually is often a really good time to establish new habits and we call it in psychology a fresh start and so none of your kind of habitual patterns have been established as of yet and so in your new space in your new environment there'll be different ways in which you can operate and it's a really good time for a reset you know maybe you want to walk more or maybe you want to, you know, get more daylight or maybe you want to meditate more. And these are all things that we can create within our environment. But equally, you know, this is how our unhelpful habits can come in as well. So a typical example is, you know, It's three or four o'clock, you're working on a project with work, you're getting frustrated. You think, oh God, I, I just need to relieve my frustration or my boredom. Okay, well, I'll just whip out my phone and I'll go on social media. And that, you know, relieves that momentary need for distraction. But the problem is, Because habits work on a loop, you know, in a certain context. And next time you get bored or frustrated at work, your brain remembers, oh, yeah, what was that fun thing I did the last time? Oh, yeah, I went on social media. And therefore, you know, the more often you repeat that, it stops becoming a conscious thought and turns into a non-conscious thought. And therefore, actually, we just do it automatically. You don't even notice that process of your brain being like, what was the fun thing? Oh, here's the thing. And it happens. So we just got to be really careful. But the bonus is, you know, good habits are just as likely to be formed as unhelpful habits. You know, it's not like, Sarah, you lay in bed this morning, you know, weighing up the pros and cons of dental hygiene or deciding if you're motivated enough to brush your teeth or, or any of those, if you're in the zone of toothbrushing or you're a toothbrushing kind of person, you know, you did it automatically, non-consciously because it's a habit that you have. And that's where I hope to get people
1: with their healthy habits. That is so true that the only thing I do weigh out with my hygiene is can I be bothered to floss? That's definitely not become (laughs) a habit yet. And my dentist does remind me every time. But I feel like many people are the same lines and that's definitely not one that's ingrained in me yet. (laughs) (laughs) Can I actually suggest something on that? Yes. And anyone else listening, I hope this will be helpful to you too.
0: So there's a really interesting study they did in UCL about two flossing habits. And it harnesses this kind of habit technique called piggybacking. So they got people to floss their teeth. And how they did it was they got one group to do it before they brushed their teeth and one group to do it after they brushed their teeth. And the group that did it after their toothbrushing were much more likely to then follow through because the toothbrushing was a habit that they'd already established. So it was something that they constantly did. So if they tied their flossing to the toothbrushing after the toothbrushing, it was much more likely that they carried out. Now you have to put the floss Next to the toothbrush, again, is an environmental cue. But the other, other interesting thing, there's another study on flossing, which was they got people to just floss one tooth. Although it seems laughably small and it, it just seems, you know, like a bit of a joke, actually, and, and I can go on to talk about this the power of small habits, but it got people to get over that first hump and that hump of motivation. And actually people did floss one tooth, but they were like, listen, while I'm at the flossing party, I might as well, you know, keep going. And so they were much more likely to engage in a flossing behavior when they actually set themselves up those kind of small, tiny goals. They put the cue in front of their toothbrush and they tagged it onto an existing habit that they already had. So that's something that can be really, really useful when you want to establish new habits, is look at, well, what are the things I do day in, day out, without fail? And can I tag a new habit onto an existing habit because it makes it much easier to form those habits.
1: Gosh, I'm going to try that and I'm going to come back to you and say I've now got into my daily flossing, hopefully. One tooth at a time. (laughs) One tooth. Gosh, which tooth should I pick? That's the question. (laughs) No, it's true, isn't it? It's like, you know, trying to, it's the same with stretching. And you mentioned about forming healthy habits when you change. And I've actually made sure that I'm trying to stretch more now. But actually, it's tagging on to the end of my workout instead of doing it before, because it's that extra, oh, I've got to get up an extra 10 minutes before to stretch. But if I do it after... I'm actually much more likely to do it because I'm already active and you know I'm already in that space. So that kind of tagging on action actually makes a lot of sense. I feel like I'm doing that unconsciously without knowing. So it's really interesting. I feel like people can adopt that to different areas within their life. So how long does it take to form a habit then? So say we're going to do this piggybacking exercise of maybe the flossing. How long will it take me to form something like that? Or anyone who's listening, thinking, oh, I want to start making a change. Because there's so many different numbers that are thrown around. Of, oh, it could take seven days, it could take 21 days, it could take 66 days. Like, What is the kind of average length of forming a habit?
0: Yeah, great question. And you're closer to it with the 66 days, which is kind of disappointing for people. And the interesting thing, Sarah, is like the research actually on the 21 days, it came from anecdotal research from the 70s, from the plastic surgery field, which was it took 21 days for people to adapt to their new appearance. And somehow that got taken and you know, piggybacks, if you will, onto the habit research and and people thought, oh, well, it takes 21 days to form habit. The research from UCL shows it, it takes anything between 66 and 122 days, so around three months on average, but that depends on the complexity of the habit that you wish to form. But I think the, the key message here is not to focus on the numbers, but to know that, like, habits are for life, not just for Christmas or for New Year's even. And I suppose, like, it's not like we just brush our teeth in January and then our dental hygiene is done for the rest of the year. You know, if we want to actually continue to reap the rewards of anything, we need to continually engage. And I say that not to put people off or to frustrate them, but actually just to give them permission to actually take their time with their habits, because, Any habit that you're looking to adopt, it's almost more helpful or more beneficial to look at it like, this is something I want to do for the rest of my life. And if you give yourself that compassion and you approach it from that point of view, it means that you'll say, okay, well, actually stretching before my workout, I just rushed through it. Or, you know what, I'm not as motivated getting up to do that. But I know that if I give myself the care and the time after my workout, it tends to be more beneficial from a physiological point of view that actually that's going to be a kinder way to form that habit. It's also going to be a more lifelong way to form that habit. I think that it's time we've all had a bit, we have a bit of a rethink about our habits and think about actually, well, what does this look like across my lifetime rather than just for this season of my life?
1: And I think that's such a big thing, isn't it? As so many people make it Instinct right now to right. I want to get fitter, I want to get healthier, I want to look better for my holiday is probably a big one. As this episode is coming out, we're gonna be approaching December and we're gonna be in the party season. And by January, everyone's like, right, you see every media headline saying my fear were detox diets, (laughs) you know, these fatty diets that you see kind of be putting on Sunday supplements, you know health magazines, women's magazines. And people buy into it because they want this quick fix. But sadly, again, as you said, it's not that long-term change of habit and that's that lifestyle change that's going to help you long-term. So when it comes to, there's so many questions I want to ask, That when it comes to the like weight loss side of things, it's one of the questions that come to my mind of what you were just talking about. Why do so many people fail to stick to weight goals? Because a lot of people come to me in clinic they've been in years of dieting and actually in the long term it's actually made them gain more weight Mm. and so it's had the kind of opposite effect so for any people you know that are trying to maintain a healthy weight with a habit change what's your advice
0: yeah it's so hard i'm sure your heart goes out to all your clients like that and i just think the constant struggle and like There's one thing that we know from the research is that diets are more likely to help you increase weight and increase stress in your life as well. And stress is correlated with weight gain as well. So, you know, those two things that they do actually is counter to what the outcome or the goal that people seek in them is. And and that just is incredibly frustrating for people. And I think it's one of the key motivators of why I wanted to you know get into this field, and I'm sure you too, as well as like get so frustrated when people are trying their best and they think they're doing something that they think is right for them, and actually it's being entirely ineffective. The problem I see with a lot of people is that they go about their habit changes in a way that isn't beneficial for them. They start out with wanting an outcome they want a number on the scales or a number in a race or a number on their paychecks or, you know, certain letters by their name, whatever the motivation is. And those are known as extrinsic goals. So they're goals that you seek for appearance reasons or goals that are outside of you for other people. Because you feel like you should do them, you know, they're the kind of shudder goals. Intrinsic motivation can only keep you going so long and it will keep us going for a couple of weeks. But eventually, you know, you might reach that number on the scales and then you might put yourself under pressure to step it up or step it up or step it up. Or you might step on the scales and it doesn't tell you that number. And because your motivation is lying in that number, in that extrinsic outcome, you lose motivation rather than actually looking at all of the effort that you've made or all of the progress to date and so what i try and encourage people to do is to focus on intrinsic motivation which science has shown time and time again is the most important motivation to cultivate for long-term change and i love Intrinsic, the word intrinsic translates into Latin into inward, which also means goods for your soul. And I just love that phrase, goods for your soul, because that so represents what intrinsic motivation is about. So it's about forming goals because they're personally significant or personally meaningful for you. They're part of who you are, who you wish to be in the world, what you wish to represent. Intrinsic goals are those goals that keep you going when you're in the trenches because they're like, I want to lose weight so I feel more confident. I want to lose weight so that i can feel more myself i want to lose weight because actually what it allows me to do in my day who it allows me to be how it allows me to function as a person and so instead of weight loss being around a number on the scales it becomes about how you want to feel on a day-to-day basis you know becomes part of your own personal values and for example you know when people are setting habits around weight loss i always suggest that they start with the five whys so say you want to get fitter. Well, why do you want to get fitter? Oh, well, I want to have more energy. Well, why do you want to have more energy? Well, I want to be able to apply myself better at work. Why do you want to apply yourself better at work? Because making a contribution matters to me. Why does making a contribution matter? because I want to be someone that makes a difference with their one life that they have. And you know, the more you ask yourself, why, if anyone can do this for any goal that they have, you know, ask yourself, why is it important for me to engage with that? And instead of, you know, the fickle number on the scales, it becomes so much more about who you are, what you want to represent in the world. And that's those goods for the soul that we need. And so when we're finding it tough and, you know, when we we tend to stray, and studies have shown this, you know, when we go off track, if we can remember the true why behind why we wanted to engage with our goal, not for appearance reasons, not because other people want us to do it, but because we wanted to do it for ourselves, because it's so inherent in the part of who we are, those are the people that stick with their goals long term. So it's about finding your why, asking yourself, why is it important for me to actually do this goal in the first place?
1: That's such a fantastic thing to hear because I think a lot of us lose that self acceptance of why am I doing this for me? Because we can always very happy to please other people and people pleasing and social acceptance and all of that side of things. And that sometimes is a big driver for our change. And actually, when we reflect inwardly on ourselves and say, actually, what is this going to do for me? Then I think the true answer comes out. And maybe you are more willing to strive further because you know that it's for yourself. And I think if we take a step back in our own lives, we don't make much time for ourselves generally day to day so those intentions are so so important and this might tie in quite well but you know a lot of people feel that when they start a habit they give up and there's this constant conversation around willpower and I don't have the willpower to keep going and I've not got strong willpower you hear it a lot in smoking so I don't have the willpower to give up smoking or to give up cigarettes I don't have the willpower to cut back on my drinking because it's you know it's December and it's the party season, I want to go out. You talk a lot about willpower not actually being the center of forming a healthy habit or making change. And can you explain why that is?
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Like if we think about, you know, the time of year in January rolls around and we think, okay, new year, new you, I'm going to give up sugar. I'm going to run every day. I'm going to be nice to my other half. I'm going to save lots of money. I'm going to do all of the things. And the more we add in, the more we take away. And it is a concept in psychology known as goal dilution. And so we actually dilute our effectiveness, achieving our focal goal. And the thing is, willpower is like a muscle. So if I went to the gym or you went to the gym, Sarah, for the next seven days and only lifted weights on your right bicep, by the time you got to the end of the week, you wouldn't be able to lift up a glass of water, you know. But if you went maybe once A week, maybe for seven weeks, you know, you grow stronger over time because you gave yourself adequate rest and recovery in between. And that's the concept of overcoming willpower depletion. When we approach our goals, when we set off on a new habit journey, you know, we try and do everything at once. And actually, the truth be told, you know, from the research, the opposite is true. What we need to do is small, tiny changes consistently. That's what grows our habit muscle over time because it's repetition. And consistency that actually grows habits. And so what we need to do is actually start as small as physically possible so we don't use up our will, precious willpower. And the interesting thing is in studies they found that those that actually have the highest willpower are those that use it the least because they've designed their lives and they've designed their environments in a way that they're not exposing themselves to willpower or to having to use up their willpower. So they don't put themselves in environments that they feel vulnerable they don't, you know, come home tired and open the cupboard and a packet of crisps falls out and hits them in the face. You know, who could resist that? And I would say there's two things to think about with that as well. Is one, you know, don't blame yourself. You know, blame, blame your systems. You know, if you give in to temptation, you know, is it because you left yourself hungry? Is it because you put yourself in a vulnerable situation? You know, change can happen if you change your system. And so it's important to just... Think and separate yourself from that when when we go off track and actually look at, well, how can I set up my system to support me better? How can I set up my environment to support me better? And one way of setting up a system to best support us is to start by making the smallest goal. And I know that we laughed earlier about you know, flossing one tooth at a time, but it's actually what's going to like, you know, create that runway to change for you. And it might be, let's go for 50 more steps on our fitness tracker a day. It might be just having one glass of water in the morning. It's about proving to ourselves through small wins over time that we are able to do it, that we are the type of person that follows through on our goals. And the interesting thing is each time we follow through, we get a positive dopamine response. And dopamine is a learning hormone in the brain and it actually rewards us for engaging in it. But so often when it comes to habit change, people berate themselves, they deprive themselves, they you know, beat themselves up in their heads constantly for I, what I didn't do. And the key is to make small changes, but focus on what you've, you have done. And every time you engage with that small change, you know, remind yourself, I followed through with this. This feels good. I'm someone who actually consistently follows through with their goals, no matter how laughably small it is. You know, you know, people can look down their nose at those kind of habits, like the small changes, but actually cumulatively they can have a massive impact. And the thing is, at the end of the day, change is hard. And it's even harder if you're going to be hard on yourself about it. So if you can make it as easy for yourself to engage by making those small changes it's much more likely that you're going to repeat a habit often and that it becomes consistent, it becomes non-conscious, and then you don't even have to think about it. Just like your toothbrushing, brushing, it happens every day.
1: It's really interesting because you made a point, obviously, that we can be really tough on ourselves and our biggest critics, which I completely believe when it comes to our own behaviour and analysing ourselves. I think sometimes we are our own worst enemies in that sense. And why do you think that is? Why do you think we beat ourselves up so much when... Something goes wrong or we don't pursue something in the, the way that we hoped we would. Why do we give ourselves such a hard time around this?
0: I think we have these like unrealistic expectations of ourselves in many ways. You know, we think that we can go in a straight line from A to B without any deviation off the path. And like life doesn't work in the way that way and habits don't work in that way. And I always joke in my talks that I'm like, if I want one thing for everyone who's undergoing a habit change, I want them to fail. But I do want them to fail because I want them to understand how to bounce back from failure. Because so often and and. Sarah, you'll see this in your clinic, you know, people will, you know, eat what they so-called really healthy week or whatever, and Thursday rolls around and, you know, they miss lunch because they're in a meeting and then they end up grabbing a Snickers with their coffee or whatever happens to be. And then they think, oh, well, I failed. You know, I might as well just kind of steamroll this weekend and then I'll start again on Monday. But they haven't failed. Their system has failed. They didn't, you know, set themselves up for the expectation of, okay, well, this is something that's going to get in my way. And again, a a way to overcome that is a thing in psychology called implementation intentions and their if then plans. And so what people can do is think about those common barriers. Um, And this is something that we found in some of our studies, you know, we got people to track their temptations over the course of a week. And there was patterns for each person. And and actually, there was patterns across the board as well. Most people tended to be tempted at 3.30 and 8.30 at night. And, you know, these temptations weren't isolated incidences. There were things that happened time and time again. So what we did was we we got people to track their temptations. And then we asked themselves, that got them to think about, well, what's that barrier for change that keeps coming up time and time again? Is it that you're too tired? Is it that you had to work late? Is it you know, whatever it is for you. Is it that you go for a run and it's raining, you know, welcome to the UK, it's going to rain, you know, and then we got them to think about, well, what's my alternative in this situation? Because it doesn't have to be all or nothing. I don't have to, you know, put that pressure on myself to be perfect anymore. I can do an alternative in this situation and I'm going to learn to be okay with that alternative. And so, This is where the if-then planning comes in. So if X happens, so if that barrier happens, if you're finding you're too tired to cook, if it's raining when you go to go for your run, what's your alternative? What is something else you can do? And that's the why. So if X happens, I can do Y. And Y could be, you know, it's raining, you put on your headphones, you put on your raincoat and you go out and you blast some killer tunes and you feel like Rocky or you do an online workout at that time that you know you're playing around with that works within the same time, of time window you have or if you're finding you get home you're too tired to cook you have like a five minute food folder on Pinterest or you've got a post-it on your fridge that's like omelette or whatever it is Sarah you'd be better at suggesting these kind of five minute recipes whatever they are and you experiment with those and the beauty of that is It allows us to make mistakes because that's life and we will and we will all fail but it also gives us alternatives and that's very important from a neuropsychological point of view because it actually tells our brain that it's not about all or nothing. It's not about do the run or nothing. It's not about eat the perfect diet. It's about if X happens, what are the alternatives? And by exploring those alternatives, we open up our mind, we open up new neural pathways, we allow ourselves to know that there are other ways of operating, and we allow a certain level of flexibility in our lives. And I think that's very important, as well as heaps of self compassion, which I can talk to you as well. But um, yeah.
1: Well, there's two things you mentioned there, and it's flexible thinking, which I think not many people speak much about. And maybe not many of us are aware of, but actually flexible thinking plays a really big part in our day-to-day happiness. Yeah. Is that something that you agree on? Within, Do you work a lot with the flexible thinking with habits? Because I feel like the more flexible you are, the less you set yourself up for disappointment and you are learn to adapt
0: yeah, you're so right. Yeah, you said it like there's some really interesting studies by Kathy Milkman. Um, she's got a great book out at the moment. Actually, it's called How to Change. And they found that actually rather than saying that you're going to go to the gym and this surprised me and I'm like a massive nerd with these things. But rather than saying you're going to go really just eat Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saying that you'll go three out of seven days of the week and allowing for, you know, Wednesday, you know, one of your children is sick, so you actually can't get out and do that workout that you wanted to, or you've got to go in an early call or whatever it happens to be. But if you can still promise yourself that I'll do the three this week, it allows you to explore and kind of adapt. And I think that's very, very important to have that flexibility. And they've shown that people that allow themselves that kind of flexible model are much more likely um, to stick to their habits long term, and equally in our studies of them, um, we looked at people who were regainers and people who were maintainers, who maintained, you know, large weight losses for a long period of time. And the key difference was that our conclusion of our study was failure is success if you learn from it. And that's why I always want everyone to fail because there's so much learning in it. And they said, we managed to separate themselves from their personal failures. And they saw it, you know, as, okay, like I said before, you know, a system failure. And they said, well, how can I change the system in future? You know, what else can I do in this circumstance that might help me better? And they saw that all these little failures insights into what's going to help them, Build these lifelong habits and I think that's what's really important if we treat ourselves with the compassion that this is not just for January this is for life you know then we're allowing ourselves to experiment we allow ourselves to fail we look for that learning in the failure and we look to adapt and have alternatives and like you say have this certain level of flexibility and flexible thinking and a growth mindset around
1: you know what it takes for real life real world change. It's such an important fact to to talk about and especially is as we're coming into the Christmas period and December and the new year I feel everyone kind of goes 100% in December and maybe just says oh it's this time to enjoy myself which it absolutely is but then they kind of sabotage it by going so hard on themselves and in January how can we create a more positive outlook in those kind of heavy periods of, I would say, fun and, you know, socializing and partying and Christmas season, how can we become more adaptable to actually not maybe going 100 miles per hour and becoming more self-compassionate with what's right for us? So we don't feel this, and it's a really sad word that I use a lot, but shame and guilt that a lot of people feel in January due to kind of an overindulgent December? How can people look at a different way going forward? How can we kind of give some people some top tips going into December?
0: It's a great question and I love it because it not it like always around January is a retribution for your December sins. And in a way, if we've promised ourselves we're going to have a clean January, whatever clean means, but we often then think, okay, well, then we can just go bigger because in anticipation, there's an amazing study on this where they actually told people they were going to go on a diet on Monday. And everyone overcompensated, you know, by 500 to 700 calories each day before Monday, because it was the anticipation of the deprivation. It made them actually go more extreme. And even they've shown in studies that flashing the word diet in front of people makes them feel more deprived, so they overeat. And so the key is, I would say in December, is to pick your battles. And what I mean by that is, Let's optimize for joy, Okay, So if you've got loads of Christmas parties and you've got loads of lunches out or whatever else, you know, think about, well, what's going to be my favorite thing today, this week? Okay, that's going to be the thing where I'm just going to, you know, have what I want, see how I feel on the day, everything else. For the other times they're less important maybe you're going to your aunties and you don't like her you know her nut roast or you know whatever you know maybe that's the option for you not to engage or indulge and i would say you know say to yourself look ahead at your week and decide okay well what is the situation where i'm going to have the most joy in and where is things where i maybe there's a situation where i don't need to go to that party and drink you know On a certain day, you know, it's about, you know, well, actually, I'm going to be that person for coffee instead of for lunch. Look at, well, what's going to be the most joyful experience for you and then work backwards from there. I would say you could even do this on a day to day, you know, around this time of year when things are pretty hectic, most people are still able to hold on to kind of key habits. And I would say, you know, if you can hold on to anything, it's hold on to the morning, hold on to your stretches in the morning and having a nourishing breakfast, it helps you kind of avoid that all or nothing that has to be one or the other. You can have both, but both has to occur in a mindful fashion. So you want to pick your battles. You want to ask yourself, well, what's going to be the most enjoyable meal out that I could have this week? Okay, that's the one. I'm going to work towards this concept called delayed gratification. And so where else can I make cutbacks and where are things that are less enjoyable for me? And, and challenge yourself. You know, you go to a party and say, well, I'm going to challenge myself to not drink for the first hour and I'll see how that goes. And then maybe that goes well in the next party. OK, I'm going to challenge myself to not drink for the first hour and a half. You know, you can build this up over time. The key thing is to remember what it gives you back in your life when you make these decisions. It's not about deprivation. It's not about missing out on fun because you can have as much fun without the alcohol and without the food. The key is actually what it gives you so that you don't feel deprived. So it's like, does it give you better focus at work the next day? Does it make you a nicer partner? Does it help you feel like a healthier and happier person? Do you feel more calm? Do you feel less anxious? What I would say to people is in those moments of temptation, in those moments of conflict, do remember, you know, you're true why, you're intrinsic. Why are you being healthy? And if you can take a gain focus, think about all the things I'm going to gain from engaging in my healthy habits versus all of the things that you're going to lose. It can really help you see actually and be grateful for, you know, healthy habits in your
1: life. It's so important, isn't it? Again, it's going back to the why. It's circling back to the why am I doing this? And I think it's such an important question. Every time maybe you come towards a block court, I'm going to think, why am I doing this? Is it helpful to me? And is it making me happy? I think it's such an important reminder to set yourself. And you spoke earlier about setting small goals, bite-sized goals. But what happens when we're trying to manage multiple goals? What happens there? So, say there's a few things that we're trying to change and adapt at once. How do people maintain that? Well, what's the success of attaining multiple goals?
0: A great question. And I would say stop right there. Don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. It's really, really hard to be successful at multiple goals at once. Again, if we go back to the willpower principle, you've got to spread yourself so thinly across multiple different things. It's much easier to actually set yourself priorities and to focus on one focal goal at a time. And not only just focus on that goal, what I would say is also ask yourself, you know, again, coming back to life is messy and things are going to get in the way. If you do have a change that you wish to make, I would also ask yourself, how confident are you that you're going to be able to stick with that over the next week? And this is what's going to help you understand, well, actually by having more goals, it might actually dilute your effectiveness. Because if you're not 70% or more confident that you'll still be executing on that habit in the next week, you need to then make it easier for yourself. So if we think about, Sarah, you know, your stretching goal. If I asked you, you know, how confident you were that you would be able to execute on it over the next week, out of 100, maybe you'd say, you know, 70 or 80 because I've been doing it, you know, for the last week or whatever. And then I'd ask you, well, how confident would you be that your most exhausted self, your most depleted self would be able to execute on that? And that might start to make you think about it differently. And this is the thing. We always think that our future selves are going to be the ones that are full of motivation and the ones that are like, you know, like perfect at doing everything. And you know, life happens. And in reality, we're, we're going to have exhausted weeks. So it's important that you always ask yourself with every change. And if you're adding in an extra change, ask yourself, well, is my most exhausted self at least 70% likely to do this, this time next week? And if not, maybe you could do it on less days. Maybe if it's meditate for 20 minutes in the morning, that turns to 10 or even three minutes when the kettle is boiling for, you know, your first cup of coffee in the morning. The thing is, it's those small habits that we're going to engage with. They're the ones that we're going to be most consistent with. And those are the ones that compound over time and result in those big changes. But if we ask too much of ourselves even within just single goals, not even having multiple goals, it makes it much more less likely that we'll succeed. And so what I would say is if you are thinking about pursuing multiple goals, and now I would say that it's against my best advice if you are thinking about it, um, ask yourself, you know, is my exhausted self, my most exhausted, my most depleted self, at least 70% or more likely to be able to still be executing on this this
1: time next week? And if not, how can I make it easier for myself? And do you think visualization has a part to play in it because sometimes I feel that we all learn differently I guess habits is a form of learning or learning something new and so for me I'm quite a visual person I know some people are the opposite and they're not they're more of they prefer listening to things or you know the senses are all that you have no that again you have such different ways of learning and so visualization can be a large part of that so could you maybe put up sticky notes or write down your goals? Is this a great way of learning for, to visualize what they're trying to do to change?
0: So, two things that come to mind there. One is, in particular for weight loss, there's a technique um, that's come out of Plymouth University called functional imagery training. And I did their training. It's exceptional. It's so interesting. I say it's what you believe you can achieve. You know, we're constantly trying to improve people's beliefs in their success. And they got people to actually visualize their success. So they got people to think about, well, you know, if they're achieving all these habits that they wish for themselves in a day to day life, what does a day look like for them? How do they feel? How do they operate? Who are they talking to? What smells are in their environment? What plants have they got in their back garden? You know, what are they doing? every day. And, and they get people to, it's so interesting because we looked at this on multiple different levels. Okay, well, if you're faced with temptation, what does that look like? And how do you overcome that? What strategies do you use? And actually just by taking two, three, four, five minutes to actually walk through, well, what does my most successful self do on a day-to-day basis? What habits are they engaged with? What are they doing? How do they feel? It actually really helps Train your brain to be on the lookout for those opportunities. Train your brain to be on the lookout for those emotions. And importantly, it helps you visualize what success could look like for you. And that's such an interesting concept because a lot of people just think about failure. They just think about where they're gonna go wrong. And they're actually far too biased towards that and not enough towards their success. You said some great cues, actually. That was I loved what you said there because you know, habits are formed via a cue. There's a cue or a trigger, and then there's a behaviour in response for a particular reward. So the cue is, you know, you get into car, you put on your seatbelt, and that's the behaviour, is putting on the seatbelt, and the reward is, you know, safety, feelings of safety. What you're suggesting here is actually having more healthy habit cues. So another cue we talked about was, you know, you you feel exhausted um, after work, you want to go get a snack, you open the cupboard, the crisps hit you in the forehead, a very, very big cue right in front of you, and the action is eating the crisps. And so what you're doing is you're setting up an environment to support making the healthier choice the easier choice by putting visual reminders by hanging up your why somewhere i always say you want to be able to trip over your healthy habits like have your yoga mat out in the morning have your running shoes out you know put your work clothes away and have your fitness clothes out first thing the more you can engineer your environment to support your positive choices, the less you rely on your unreliable willpower and the more likely it is that you'll see your habits through. And so I would say to everyone, like if you want to design for habits and health in your life, then you need to design your environment. So take a look around, you know, if you open your work drawers and they're full of Haribo, you know, is that the most supportive thing? Because prox- we engage with what's close to us. And it's a really interesting study where they showed that people working in admin roles in, in companies, if they had Sweets on their desks versus even six feet away. They tend to eat 100, 150 calories more when they were on their desk versus even just having to get up and walk six feet. And so, you know, where the eyes go, the brain follows. And so, like, have a look at what happens when you open your fridge first. You know, is it the birthday cake left over from the weekend, the first thing you see? Or is it, you know, some cherry tomatoes and some chopped carrots? You know, when you walk into your living room, if you're trying to cut back on, tv or binge watching you know is your tv plugged in have you got your remote right beside you is it just in hand's reach if you're trying to cut down on your phone you know is your phone on your table because every time you see it you have to make a decision whether or not to engage with it and our willpower becomes depleted over time and we're much more likely to engage with it so take a look around your environment ask yourself you know what are my habits even our phones are a micro environment you know when you open your phone what are the apps that you see first of all are they you know if you're trying to get in a a more calm headspace you know is it that your meditation apps are the first thing that comes up or your journaling apps or your gratitude apps or are the notifications you're getting about managing calm or or breaths that you can have or are they social media or news updates that you're getting because that's an environment that you're exposing yourself to so i love what you said there sarah because it just shows like huge, huge element of habit change is actually your environment. And if you can tailor your environment to support change, it just makes healthier choices, easier choices to make.
1: Completely. I think when you said that, there's two things I was nodding my head going, yes. When I was away a few weeks ago, I went to a retreat and I really wanted to switch off from social media and off my apps. And it was a really interesting thing that when I look on my homepage, I've got my emails, I've got my WhatsApp, so I've got Instagram. And there's a thing on the iPhone, I'm not sure if it's on the Android, We you can disable your apps from a certain time. So apart from a call, I literally couldn't use an app. And it really deterred me from, in the evening, even going on my phone, because I thought, well, I can't go on it. It's physically, and I forgot how to turn it off. And so like two weeks ago, I was like, oh, this is how I do it. So literally from about 9.30, that was it, it was off. And I forgot how to turn it back on again. So it did actually, well, I mean, it had to because I couldn't use it. And it did start structuring. I have to say I've not stuck to it, but it did start. And then I was having this conversation with a friend, and they were wanting to work on their flexibility. He was a Pilates teacher. And they did something really clever in COVID. They put all of their cups and saucers on the bottom ledge of their kitchen. So every time they had to pick one up, they went into a deep squat, which stretched their hip flexors. And by the end, they were so flexible because every day without realizing, they'd have to squat down to get a cup and a saucer from the bottom and come back up again. And it was just naturally allowing them mobility. And it's true. It's like when you implement it into those small things where you're actually not having to take time to do it, you're just having to, sort of reaching up on your tiptoes together, you're having to squat down. It actually made such a fundamental difference. And it's just so interesting when you actually rethink about how you've laid out your environment, how it can have such an impact on your overall health and behavioural change.
0: Yeah, I love that, Sarah. It's what we talk about in behavioural science is friction. So you want to reduce friction to the healthy behaviours and you want to increase friction to the unhelpful behaviours. And the harder it is to do something, the less likely you are to engage with it. So the harder you make it to, you know, like you say, I have the focused mode on my phone is on. I was really impressed. It actually kicked me off WhatsApp.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, Literally, like, day. I need to send a message quick.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and actually, I was like, brilliant. There you go. Those are the boundaries. That will help me reserve my precious willpower for other things that are more important. So I love that. It's so important.
1: And so kind of taking this full circle, and it's something that I don't know if people think about this that much, but when you're trying to adopt a healthy habit or maybe a healthier approach to something within your life and you're in a relationship and it could be a friendship, it could be a flatmate, it could be a partner, it could be family and they are doing the opposite so they're not engaging it and that can obviously really impact your relationship to the healthy habit. How do you overcome that? Because I do feel that as much as we try ourselves, other people's approach to how you're changing that habit can also really affect the maintenance of how much you maintain that. What advice do you have for anyone who is maybe surrounded by unhealthy partners or unhealthy flatmates or unhealthy families that maybe don't understand this behavioural change?
0: Yeah. First of all, it's really hard. Like we talk about this. I'm part of this motivational interviewing society. It's called Mint. And we talk about the worst people to try and change are the people that you know and love. (laughs) And it's very, very difficult to like support the other people in your life to change, but also to get them to support you. But there are ways. And that's mainly because we all have a vested interest. We feel like we have more control over um, those that we know well. The key thing here is if you're wanting to change and you're struggling in the current environment that you are in, one thing that's often mentioned is, okay, well, what can you do to expose yourself a little bit more to those that have similar goals to you? So you can start by writing a list. Okay, who are three people in my life that may have current similar goals to me? Is there a way that I can connect with them more at this time? If that's not an option for you right now, maybe it's about looking at your social media account and looking at who are people. And I mean, similar to you, because I think it's very important that actually we don't, you know, say I'm a, you know, a a weekend tennis player, I'm not trying to be Serena Williams immediately in the first week. I'm looking at someone who's just a little bit ahead of me. And I think that's very, very important for people to do when it comes to habit change. It's not about looking at the absolute ideal. It's about looking at someone that's actually quite similar to you that struggles with the same things you are, but is just a little bit ahead of you. So what I would say Mm -hmm. is, you know, seek out those three people in your life that are doing it. If you can't, and if that's a barrier for you, start exposing yourself to maybe people online that are actually you know similar to you in a similar circumstance I would also communicate with the people in your home or the people that are close to you we're going to go back to this again you're going to think I'm a broken record but your why
1: no I think it's great we're forming a habit here we're yeah. knowing that I've got to say why
0: But it's so true because often people feel maybe themselves a little bit of shame around not changing their behaviors and they can bring that baggage into actually being quite defiant about your own personal behaviors. But if you explain to the people in your life, you know, the reasons that I'm doing it, this is why it's important to me. And you can choose to, you know, come along with this, but you don't have to. Here are some of the things I'm going to be doing. But these are things I'm doing for me and I'm not, you know, doing them for anyone else outside of that. And I'm happy to welcome you in at any stage if you wish to know more, if you've got any questions. But just know that I choose to do these things now and I'm not going to enforce this choice on you. What's quite interesting about not enforcing choices is that it gives people the autonomy and the curiosity to actually come around to it themselves. And when you divulge your why it also helps people understand you know that there's a kind of a more long-term and more meaningful and um, piece behind it and that it's not just you know you're doing it for this wedding or because it's summer or whatever it happens to be that actually this is something that means a lot to you and, and you'd be surprised how people start to react when you share your why it's kind of like an example of like you know telling your other half to empty the dishwasher versus telling them how you feel when they are actually able to support you in looking after your home. It's a completely different way of framing things, you know. and people need to know that they're not gonna be thrown into the bus for not going along with what you want. It's just important that you are able to iterate your why to them. And the final thing on that is, we often ask people to support us, but we're not specific in what type of support we need. And I think that's an important thing to reflect on in your journey for change. If you want support from someone, what type of support is it that you need? Maybe it's about, you know, that they only eat crisps in the office and they don't bring them home because the rustle of that packet, you know, makes you want to immediately engage at crisps or whatever it happens to be. Or maybe it's that, you know, they'll make time for you at the end of the day to talk about, you know, how difficult this change has been for you. Or maybe it's that they high five you, you know, whatever it happens to be, it's important to specify the type of support that works best for you, because otherwise people just feel like they're not sure how to behave. They're not sure how to act. They're worried that you are going to enforce your behaviors upon them. So just be really, really clear on actually how someone can support you surround yourself as much as possible with people that are just one step ahead of you that actually have similar goals and then also make sure that the others in your life know that this is not something you're going to force them to do
1: as well. It's all about how you approach the situation isn't it and it's so important and also making sure that I think first of all we all understand why we're doing it ourselves. I think that's such valuable advice and I could talk to you. I've got so many more questions. I feel like we need a second podcast. I could talk to you about this all day, but I always like to leave on a final question. And I always like to ask my guests, Heather, what does live well, be well mean to you?
0: I love that. I think for me, it's about, if you keep telling yourself, you know, the reason you haven't achieved your habits or you haven't achieved your goals is because you haven't found the secret sauce yet. Like, you are the secret sauce and live well be well is something that we can all achieve you know that comes in many different formats for many different people but that's our secret sauce it's about knowing that that we have that power inside of us to live well to be well on a day-to-day basis and i think it's just about Allowing ourselves to really understand that we have all the skills that we need, we just need a little bit more compassion to take things a little bit slower to start smaller, and we will really surprise ourselves with those results in over time.
1: Well, I absolutely love that and I love being more self compassionate to ourselves because I think many of us aren't and we don't we don't always realize that, do we It's a really important lesson, I think, especially with habits so Thank you for sharing that. So insightful. And so for anyone who, obviously I know everyone's going to want to now go and look you up and see where they can find more information about you. How can they get in contact with you? Your website? Do you have Twitter or Instagram?
0: Yeah, so the best... At the moment, I'm running this free challenge, which I'm really excited about um, <laughs> because it's all about, it's a video challenge and it's five day, it's a free challenge. Anyone can sign up to it and it's on bitesizedhabits.co.co and it's great because it's like just the foundations of habit change for anyone who wants to kickstart a habit. So if you're super motivated after this call and you want to go off and think about how you can kickstart a habit it's all there. It's just five videos over five days and key evidence-based insights. Um, I think that's probably the best place for people to get started on their journey. And it's all completely free as well. Anyone can sign up.
1: Fantastic. And where do they find that, Heather? What's the website? BiteSizeHabits.co. And I will pop that in the show notes just as people are going, wait, rewind, five minutes, quick, where's the pen? (laughs) I'll pop that in the show notes with your website and all the details as well so people can kind of find out a bit more. After listening to this, I feel that I've got a healthy habit of flossing to start as of tonight. (laughs) (laughs) With one, two, three. Exactly. (laughs) Heather, thank you so much for coming on to Live Well, Be Well. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much for your questions. It's been such a buzz. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well. If you did enjoy this episode, please do leave a five-star review because it helps spread the awareness of this podcast. And if you haven't yet purchased your podcast live tickets to the event for the season finale of season six, please head to the Be well Collective website to get yours. Until next week, I hope you all live well and be well.